Locked On Bengals, your daily Cincinnati Bengals podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Locked On Bengals podcast. I'm your host, Jake Lisko. He's your host, James Rapine. And, well, as you can tell, my voice, James, still has not recovered from party hardy from the blind pig from thursday night football and for our weekend mailbag weekday midweek mailbag man uh we're gonna start actually with a little bit of a recap of how our week went last week at the blind pig at the game after the game and for me being back in cincinnati what it was like to be there for a primetime game i think that's actually the first primetime bengals game i've ever attended and this fits in really well i think with the first question for the mailbag. So we'll call this answering a mailbag question, James, as we talk about our experience last week. This comes from Bengal Bob at the Bengal Bob on Twitter. He writes, the stadium appeared to have a different energy on Thursday night. What is the atmosphere like at the game? And do you recommend that out of town fans make the trip to see a game? And I'm just going to start real quick, James, because I'm the out of town fan. I know you got to watch the energy and you can, speak to how it maybe was different from other games but for me it was worth it absolutely like for me I I haven't been to a game in a few years I haven't been to Cincinnati in a few years so it was really cool to see how the city has changed but also the game itself was actually really fun and I know it was like the ring of honor night and it was a primetime game so some differences there and the first half was awful like it was miserable to sit through that first half and just like watch how close they were in a lot of ways and how things weren't going their way. But the second half was incredible. And then they won the game and the atmosphere really was great. It was really loud. I mean, they were almost sold out like 63,000 out of 65,000, I think tickets sold something like that. And you could tell like there weren't visible empty pockets in the stadium. So I would recommend it. I thought it was a lot of fun. James, you've seen a lot more home games than I have. I guess one of those seasons was empty of fans. Well, what was your take? It was electric, completely electric. And uh, during the pregame, probably about 20 minutes before kickoff, I made my way down um, to your section. Was it 154? And, uh, and and got to see you guys and got to see a bunch of listeners. So that, that was awesome. And so as I'm making my way towards the seats and back, First off, it's the worst time to to try to do that because people are filing in and trying to find their seats and in line. And it's just, you know, chaos uh, as people are looking for their seats. But, you know, from the fireworks to the energy in the stadium, you had who day chants uh, for, from different people just throughout the introductions, I thought, were really, really cool. And people were so damn excited. And, yeah, that's why that first half was such a gut punch, because everybody it was electric. And there wasn't much to cheer about in the first half. So, uh, yeah, I would totally recommend the environment. I I wouldn't be shocked at all if the Bengals uh, get flexed into another primetime game or two this year if they keep winning. But even if they don't, I I think that the the in-game atmosphere, there's clearly a difference this year compared to last year, obviously, with COVID. But even if COVID didn't exist and fans were in the stands last year, the atmosphere would have been different. Um, this season, just from everything Elizabeth Blackburn uh, has done and shout out to her for showing up at the blind pig and and chatting with us and chatting with fans at our event. But I I think she deserves a lot of credit, uh, you know, in in this entire Bengals organization deserves credit because they realize 
that that fan experience is important, even if they are winning, right? It's, it's more than that. You, you want to make sure that the fans feel appreciated. And I'm, I'm starting to see some change there. So uh, I know I, I think it's certainly worth the trip, certainly worth checking out. And uh, the Bengals have some good home games coming up, starting with this Sunday against the Packers. And there's some really good food around downtown Cincinnati and over the Rhine, which is, you know, a walk, a long walk given, but a walk from the stadium, a walk from the banks that I walked a lot while I was in Cincinnati. One note before we talk about the rest of the week, I thought that the primetime aspect of things really gave them like it added a lot of juice to the pregame experience. So the player introductions, they were able to do more with lighting, right? Because it's dark outside. So they're able to do more with that play off that versus daylight where I think you're a little bit limited what you can do in terms of a light show. So pretty cool to see the light show they kind of put on in the, in the pregame with the player introductions and things like that. I, I enjoyed that. And just in general, you know, talking to Joe Goodberry's brother, Glenn, He's, he's a season ticket holder with the Buffalo Bills. And, you know, the Bills have infamous tailgates. And so not really to compare the tailgates or anything, but he was even saying, you know, I thought that was a great game day experience. And this is for someone who has experienced, you know, the Buffalo Bills games for the last few years as Josh Allen took that big leap last year. So there's a, a third party perspective that that doesn't see it all the time, like like you do, James. And has no affiliation with the team, although I think the Bengals are one of his, you know, secondary teams. He's, I think, a sure. Bills fan first, but um, just a, an external perspective there that speaks to what they're doing. And also, quick shout out to Seth Tanner, who also was at our Blind Pig event and has yeah. done a lot with the uh, game day experience, and he's clearly doing a good job. Yeah, and, and part of our game day giveaway, Emily Parker yeah. just came through, man. The Jamar Chase ball, the autograph ball. Man, the and I forget the the guy's name that won it, but he was just, what? Are you kidding me? His voice started cracking. He was like, "Are you kidding me?" And he started getting so excited. It was, it was the best. So yeah, our event was was awesome, and you know, so many people you know put in time to do that and then to show up. Because look, a lot of those people were going Thursday night, and so to come downtown on Wednesday night in the middle of a work week. I know it's tough and I wasn't sure exactly what to expect. And I was, uh, I was blown away away by everybody that came through. So it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. I know you had fun. And even though you had been walking and and we're about to embark on a a lot of walking through downtown Cincinnati, I I think it was certainly a successful night. Yeah. I was at like 14,000 steps two days in a row there on, on Wednesday and Thursday. That's just a lot. I think in general, 14,000, that's, that's a lot of, that's a lot of stepping. (laughs) Uh, it was a lot of fun though. The, the blind pig. Let's just talk about that for a, a minute. The really great moment when you and I, the guy was front and center who won the Jamar Chase ball, and you and I, I think, were probably both watching his reaction. He goes, he, he, you know, he has that that. If you're watching on YouTube, you saw it, but he has a stunned moment when he realizes, oh, they called my name, and he's like talking to us after. He's like, I never win anything. This is awesome, and so that was really cool and. You know, the, the story is going around about the hats that were traded after they were won. That was pretty cool. Uh, the, the guy that won the ball, he reaches out to grab it from me because we took it out of the box. And he, he almost put his hand right on the signature. And I'd be like, hey, don't don't touch that signature. You're going to scuff it up because the ink will come <laughs> off. Yeah. And, and luckily, we, we stopped him from defacing 
the prize that he just won, but it was a really great <laughs> event. What would you say, like 200 to 400 people? I have no idea because they were in and out throughout yeah. the night. I know some people found me at the banks at like 1 a.m. after the game and were like, hey, I tried to come to the blind pig, but you know, it just looked too full. I didn't think I didn't think I was going to get in. So sorry if you were one of those people who tried to come and couldn't get in. But I mean, great turnout. Great to meet so many of you and really quite surreal for me. I don't know about you to to be, you know, that kind of center of attention like that. But I guess we should have expected it. No, it was it was great. I mean, it just shows we have the best listeners ever. We do. Honestly, because, uh, again, coming out in the middle of a work week, doing that and, and hanging out. I, you know, it started at seven. We didn't give away the chase ball till, you know, nine 45 or so. Uh, but getting to meet so many of you in person, shake hands, chat with you, chop it up with you. Uh, you know, it's one thing to do a mailbag and it's kind of, you know, some interaction that way. I try to be present on Twitter, <clears throat> but it's, it's completely different doing it in person. And, and my thing, and I know we've already talked about this a little bit, we hope to do it again. And we don't know exactly when yet, uh, but uh, we would love to have an in-person event again. And we think it's uh, it's certainly doable since you guys are, are, you know, men and women, by the way, are so loyal and uh, and showed up and, and made the trip. So we'll, uh, we'll see. We don't know where it'll be at, when it'll be, but that's uh, certainly something Jake and I uh, have discussed over the past few days since, uh, since Wednesday night. Hopefully in the future, shout out the Blind Pig, shout out Bengal Jim for helping us secure the ven venue. Appreciate all of you guys. Let's get into the rest of these questions in this mailbag, shall we, James, and stop talking about ourselves perhaps coming up next. Well, I'm going to talk about myself for one more second because why wouldn't I, Jake? Because, look, if you're watching the games, you might as well win a little money while you're doing it. And you can do that with Bet Online. BetOnline.ag is a product I've used. You could use it too. And you're going to get free money right now, whether you want to bet on, you know, Jamar Chase being offensive rookie of the year, Joe Burrow being MVP, or maybe just comeback player of the year. I say just with a smile on my face, because what an honor that would be if he was able to secure that award this year. Or maybe you just like the Bengals plus three against the Packers this weekend, where you can bet on all of those things and so much more at betonline.ag. And you're going to get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit right now with promo code locked on. And it's not just football, basketball, boxing, everything in one spot. <clears throat> Excuse me, betonline.ag. It's the fastest and easiest way to bet on your, all your favorite sports. Again, promo code locked on at betonline.ag. You know, that comeback player of the year race, that's going to be tight between Burrow and Dak. I mean, Dak Prescott also having a fantastic year to start off for, for Dallas. But hey, Joe Burrow up for air player of the week this week. I don't think he's going to win. I think he's losing the popularity contest to the city of New York and, and obviously Patrick Mahomes, but certainly deserving. And I pointed this out on Twitter. I don't remember if we talked about it on the show yesterday or not, but Joe Burrow, PFF's top-graded quarterback. I think we did. Top-graded quarterback in the last mm -hmm. two weeks. Yep. And I think that's a really good segue into Christopher Papa's question, James. Christopher Papa, PhD, at Chris underscore Papa underscore 85. Maybe an Ocho Cinco, Ocho Cinco fan here. He wants to know how concerned you are that Joe Burrow is comfortably top 10 in any catch-all rate stat you can find, except the ones that are ostensibly opponent adjusted, such as QBR where he's 18th or DVOA where he's 17th. I'm not. And maybe, maybe you're more, cause you're, you're certainly more um, into the stats. I, I guess what would be a, a fair way 
to put it, no, I'm not because this is now. If this is the case a month and a half from now, and they're playing a good half and not another good half, and they're not putting it together, and they're not putting up 30 points against bad defenses like they should, and even against good defenses like I think they should. That's one thing. But look, this offense has just scratched the surface to me. And they've played two games without T. Higgins. We'll see with Mixon. Uh, the offensive line, they, they finally, after a couple of weeks, put Jackson Carmen in there, and you certainly hope he improves things uh, You know, as time goes on. And Burrow's coming off of a crazy injury. And so a slow start was expected. And so the fact that they're 3-1, the past two weeks, I think, and really in a span of four days, right, 96 hours, he's shown uh, tremendous progress, I think, in, in what he's done in the pocket, his playmaking ability, all of those things that make him special. So, no, I'm, I'm not really – like I I don't want to discredit the – not the negative stats, but the not-so-good stats and just buy the, the great stats because there's a lot of them out there, right, the PFF grade like you just mentioned. But to me – I take it with a grain of salt now, and I want to see what this next four games looks like because I think Burrow, and I get it gets more tough. I think he could have a a, a hell of a a four-game stretch here, assuming Higgins is back with Chase and Boyd, uh, given that now we're talking about 14 games into his career. I think he's extremely confident. I think he's as comfortable on that knee as he's been since the injury. And, And so why not continue to raise those expectations for Joey B. So not really concerned, but I, I, I'll default to you, stat head, Mr. Jake Lisko. What do you think? I think the DVOA stuff, for one, is not in full effect yet. Like, they don't do their full weighting for current season opponent adjustments until week six or week eight. I don't remember off the top of my head, but they're not all the way there yet. They're still waiting quite a bit based on their preseason expectations for teams. That being said, Burrow's best games came against the depleted Steelers defense and the Jacksonville Jaguars, who are as dysfunctional as their coach, who I'm surprised didn't get fired on Tuesday as we record this episode. Are you surprised? I, I'm not I, surprised. I mean, maybe not surprised, but you know, the the very stern warning from <laughs> from ownership, let's say. I mean, really, really embarrassing stuff to to entrust your franchise to Urban Meyer and. I liked, uh, who was it? I think it was Ben Solak, who's like, football Twitter, who, by the way, still argues, he he said in his tweet, about whether or not Patrick Mahomes is a good quarterback, unanimously told Jacksonville, do not hire Urban Meyer, and they did it anyway. So uh, it tells you something about, you know, where public perception is on Urban Meyer, but let's not harp too much there and talk more about Joe Burrow. He did have those performances against some not so great defenses based on injuries or based on just the the quality of the team struggled against Chicago for a lot of that game. You know, we've talked about that quite a bit, a a pretty good defense there in a lot of ways. And, um, you know, against Minnesota, he was, he was kind of, he was okay. He got a little bit lucky at times. He was, he was good enough to win the game. So you can't, you know, hammer him too hard for that. But what I think is that, you kind of need to take into account everything together. So on tape the last two weeks, he looks much more like himself. Comfortability in the pocket, making plays off script, especially against Jacksonville, that the accuracy is still there. The processing time is still there. You listen to guys like JT O'Sullivan talk about him. His footwork is that of, you know, unmatched level. Like you can't be better than him in terms of getting his feet set 
in a timely fashion. So you listen to these things and you're like, okay, the film is really good. The productivity has been really good the last few weeks. Okay, sure, there's some concerns maybe with the quality of opponent, but let's see what happens against Green Bay, right? Maybe they don't have Jair Alexander, so maybe we're still waiting to see him really do it against a good, good defense, but Green Bay is a better team. There's mo more pressure there. They still have Preston yep. Smith, who's having a bounce back here. They still have Kenny Clark, so there's still some challenges up front. Mm -hmm. Jair Alexander would be a huge absence for them if he can't play. Then after that, it's Detroit, so maybe we don't learn anything, and we're going to continue to learn about Joe Burrow the more games he plays, but Am I concerned? No, I think his tape has been increasingly good. And I think that it matches up with, you know, the PFF grades, the EPA per play stuff that we talk about. And I think that these things will eventually balance out. And, you know, we'll see. We'll see if he has a regression game or not. But this is kind of what happened to him his rookie year. He would have some really good games. He would have some stinkers in between. And we haven't seen, you know, that real shell shock game yet although you could say chicago is that he bounced back at the end of that game played pretty well after the disastrous drive so i think the resiliency is there and i think that things are trending in the right direction for him this year for sure next question comes from logie 513 certainly a loyal listener and this was a video question and um it was like two minutes long so i'm going to try to quickly summarize it and kind of give you logie's point of view and, and, and get your take basically He's asking about Jesse Bates, and he made it clear he loves Jesse Bates, thinks Bates is a great safety, but with the way the Bengals' front seven is playing, it makes it a bit easier on safeties. And, and so he's basically wanting to know, is it worth it if the Bengals' front seven continues to play well uh, to make Bates the highest-paid safety in the NFL or close to it? And it, then he – followed it up by saying I'm torn between wanting Bates to get the money he deserves and wanting the team to get a good deal and not have the highest paid safety in the league. So that balance. So your thoughts, Jake, on, on that idea. Yeah. I, I think there's this thing in Cincinnati sports fandom where like fans are averse to their local teams spending money on players. Like you see with the Reds fans specifically all the time, like we can't afford whatever and the reality is these guys can afford it especially in the nfl where revenue sharing will pay for more than your player salaries and that's all based on tv money so am i worried about jesse bay's contract eating up too much of the salary cap that will make it so the bengals can't be flexible and do what they want to do in free agency no i mean we we think the salary cap is going up and i think the salaries are going to go up to reflect that but the thing is is they have a lot of free agents on the defensive mm -hmm. line. So you got to figure out if those guys are coming back in the first place. Um, you know, you're hopeful for Joseph Osai to, to come back and be a good player next year after the, the knee surgery. I think that they could use another guy on the edge. I think they're going to have to make some hard decisions and bring some back, bring back some guys on the interior, but we saw what happened without Jesse Bates against Jacksonville in the run game. And I think that he is really a key for what this team can do in coverage as well i mean I, I think that that just can't be disputed even if we haven't seen it yet this year so to me he's still worth it and it's not really a huge concern if you spend 17 million 18 million dollars a year there if it is that high because of where we expect the salary cap to go yeah and the other thing is i saw someone and i forget who and i apologize uh for forgetting but someone was like oh well you should focus on extending jonah or extending this player extending that player and they have a lot of players like they, they could potentially extend 
this coming offseason. They can do that too. The Bengals are going to have a crap ton of salary cap, you know, a cap space this offseason. And so the Bates deal isn't really going to get in the way of things if they get it done. I don't think it's going to be in season. It's just not something they do outside of that Andrew Whitworth one-year extension in 2016, I believe it was, or 2015. I think it was 2015. So we'll uh, we'll see. But, yeah, I, I certainly think Bates is, is everything you could ask for. Uh, and then some in a safety, and he's younger than Joe Burrow. So I, I don't know if we've necessarily seen his full potential yet. We'll continue – with the mailbag coming up next, but this episode brought to you by Rock Auto. Look, it was so funny at the event last week. Everyone's like, James, you're pulling up in your Daewoo, hon. That's right, man. My Daewoo running great. You know why? Because rockauto.com is saving me money on all the parts I need. And it doesn't matter if you drive a Daewoo. Maybe you drive a Toyota Corolla, a Honda Civic, something common like that. Or maybe it's a little rare, a Mercedes-Benz, a Beamer, a Bentley. Rock Auto's got you covered and they're going to save you money because they've been in the business for more than two decades. And rather than paying crazy prices at dealerships or going to the big box store, you could save you know, 30, 50, 60% on the parts you get from Rock Auto from something as simple as an air filter to something more extensive like a fuel pump. Check them out right now at rockauto.com. See all the parts available for your car or truck and be sure to write locked on. And they're, how did you hear about us, Fox? So they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. RockAuto.com. James, we have some fun questions to finish with. Let's get let's get this one out of the way first. Uh, Jay Scooge, Scudge, Jay Scudgeons. I don't know how to say your name, man. I'm sorry. Would like to know who would win a 40 yard dash, you or me? You answer that. You answer that first. I think you would win. Okay. <laughs> I think you were going to, I didn't think it was going to be a big debate. And I was like, eh, I'll let Jake answer. And then if he says no, then I'll, I'll debate. Him. So, so here's the thing. You're like three, three years younger than me or so. Yeah. I think that, you know, if you go back to, to peak Jake versus peak James, it's, it's really close. Cause I got, I got length on you and I used to be fast. I, I am no longer fast. I can feel myself being like when I play tennis, and I'm trying to yeah. chase down a shot, for example, like I can feel myself being slower than I used to be. I'm like, why am I not there? I could, I could do this when I was younger. And it's just my speed has started sapping in the last few years. You need to eat more belt bars, bro. Cause I'm yeah. trying to, I, I turned 30 and I, I know people usually hit like the average person. I get athletes ne- might not necessarily hit a wall at 30 these days, but the average person does. And I'm like, hell no, we're, we're breaking through. We're, we're breaking through that and trying to try to get the 40. So we'll see I, I still happens. felt, I still felt okay at 30. It's, it's really the last two years, 32, 33 that I've really like, I've noticed like I'm slower than I used to be. This is new. This is a change. So, uh, you know, hopefully you don't, you don't go that way. Um, and another fun question, just before we get back into some of the more involved questions, Daniel Panetti asks rookie Jamar or rookie AJ. So Ooh. far, James, based on based on their rookie season specifically. Oh, it's tough because I think Jamar Chase has actually been more productive. You know, stats wise, he has more touchdowns. Um, he's been more of a deep threat. He was an MIA for 56 minutes or whatever it was in his debut. Unlike A.J. Green, who outside of a broken play where Joe Hayden forgot to guard him and Bruce Gradkowski found him. It was the game winner, but it was a completely broken play. A.J. Green was frustrated as hell, if you remember, and you watch his debut. And you, you don't see 
Green frustrated like that. Um, that being said, I think Green, and here's why. Andy Dalton wasn't, as a rookie especially, anywhere near where Burrow is even now. I, I don't think. I mean, it was a lot of, you know, throw it up to AJ and hope AJ can make a play on it. Jerome Simpson was on that team, right? And, and, and that offense was just kind of getting by and, and, you know, handing off to Cedric Benson and making it work. I think AJ was ready to hit the ground running and he had a huge training camp, like some wild plays. And uh, I, I remember just buzzing about AJ Green and just all the excitement around him. And I think Chase is close to that and might ultimately, and is on pace to have a better season statistically than AJ. But as of right now, I, I would still probably take AJ Green, but it's very close. I mean, it's very close. And there's a, a scenario where Chase scores 18 touchdowns, wins offensive rookie of the year, has 1,350 yards, and, you know, he, he passes green. But as of today, I think it's close, but I think A.J. would have done a hell of a lot more with Joe Burrow as his quarterback. I can definitely see that argument. I would also say that A.J. was getting force-fed the ball a lot because that was a lot of the offense that year. Throw it up to A.J. He had extra opportunities through – I mean, A.J. Green – in week two of his rookie year, had 14 targets. He caught That's a lot almost, of them, Matt. That was he, against he caught, Denver, right? Yeah, he caught 10 of them. He had a really good game. Uh, he also had 10 touchdown. targets. He also had 10 targets against Buffalo. That's 24. He had nine targets in his other games. That's a total of 33 targets. Jamar Chase has had 25 targets in his four games and is still outproducing AJ. He has 17 catches for almost 300 yards, four touchdowns. So, yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. We're like the quarterback much better. Definitely mm -hmm. agree with that. Jamar's on pace in a 16-game pace, not a 17-game pace. 16-game pace for nearly 1,200 yards and 16 touchdowns. Obviously, there's probably some touchdown regression coming, but mm -hmm. also I think could be some yardage regression coming in the other direction where he should, I think, be featured more, more in, yeah. in future games. Like he, he got nine targets against Jacksonville, caught six of them. But before that, you know, five, four, seven, he hasn't had – a 10 target game, not to mention a 14 target game. You look at AJ's rookie year, 10, 14, 10, 11, a bunch of nines, eights. So if you continue to see Jamar get featured more and we'll see if that mm -hmm. happens or not. I mean, last week was a Tyler Boyd game. T Higgins is coming back. So maybe that opportunity won't come as Joe Burrow continues to spread the ball around. Um, statistically, like you said, uh, Jamar is probably on pace for a better year than, than AJ. And here's the thing that would make me lean Jamar just to play devil's advocate. Cause this is really close, but I'm going to come down mm -hmm. on the other side for the, for the sake of presenting the argument in the other way. It's fair. You hate AJ green. We've already established it. Go ahead. I love AJ green. Don't ever say that just again. Uh, <laughs> Jamar chase, it unlocked Joe Burrow's deep ball. And, and that I think is, is a big deal. Like yeah, Joe Burrow is probably better than Andy Dalton was in, in Andy's rookie year at this point, but his deep ball last year was, you know, we've talked about it. it he had problems with it, and this year it's the, the total opposite, and much of that is because of Jamar, Jamar Chase's presence. You know what I like about Jamar that AJ never had? And, and, and really what I like about Jamar that Chad never had, and Chad's my favorite player. It, it's like as of now, and we're only four games in, but he's got like Chad swag. But AJ's calm, cool, collectiveness. Like, he's not yeah. going to throw his helmet into the stands. Like, I watched the entire offense. Not that Chad did that, but you know what I'm saying. He's not going to lose his mind. I, I watched the offense during that first half, and it, they come to the sideline and just put their helmet on the, the stand. 
And it wasn't like one was yelling at the other. There was no, and I think that probably starts with Burrow, but just an observation that I had, even though, you know, it can be frustrating. It's not like Jamar was losing his mind or Boyd or any of these guys mixing. Um, but he's still got some swag to him. Like AJ was a, a drone where, where he's like, well, you know, I, I d- didn't really dance much, you know, you know, in his prime, especially. Unless Jalen um, Ramsey was involved. For sure. And I was at that. Yeah, exactly. That's right. But but you know what I'm saying? And so like Jamar, you get the gritty, but you also get, um, you get the calmness in the, the silent confidence that green brought. Like, I don't think Jamar's out there saying I'm open like seven 11, but he thinks he's going to be open like seven 11. But if he does score, he's going to spike it on you and give you a little dance as well. And I, I think that that's, uh, as of now, the perfect medium between the two. So, uh, you know, I'm not going to knock anyone that says Jamar. And, you know, it would be fun to cover him having a record-breaking 16-touchdown, 1,500-yard season. I hope he gets there. That would be fun. He, he would have to pick up the yards. They'd have to start throwing the ball to him a little bit more, I think, to get there. But, you know, they they could certainly – you could certainly see that happening. As long as he doesn't get called for, you know – did you see that Darren Waller taunting penalty last night on, on Monday Night Football? Dude. That was brutal. It was ridiculous. He spiked that. the ball away from the players. He was looking forward. It and would just be like bounced the wrong way. Yeah, like if, if Jamar gets flagged for signaling first down and dropping the ball, you know, or, or just like you know, because it'll do one of these if you're watching on YouTube or yeah. something like that, or Mixon when he extends the ball and drops it. If they get flagged for that, I, get another fifteen by losing your mind on the official. I <laughs> I'd be fine with that. Get another fifteen, yeah. Zach or somebody, because it's ridiculous. That was ridiculous. I hated it. What, where are we going next, James? We have we have time for maybe one or two more. Maybe one yeah. more. Yeah. Yeah. Well, how about this? Because this is a, another comparison question. Uh, Jim McCracken asks, why does the national media continue to hype Justin Herbert over Joe Burrow? He says, I feel like I hear a lot about Herbert is the best of the three quarterbacks taken at the top of the draft. You know, it's funny. I'm 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 down in Florida, as our loyal listeners know, our everyday listeners know, and I'm visiting my parents, and we're watching the pregame, and my mom goes, "Well, they're talking a lot about Herbert being the next best thing. Why aren't they talking?" I'm like, "Well, they're Herbert's playing in this game, so maybe maybe Jim heard the pregame show last night and was was a little put off because they talked about Herbert in the game that Herbert was playing. But this is like a common thing among you know you know what it is. There's like this weird click of you know smart NFL people that happen to work for a national and respected, uh, you know, sports writing website that will remain nameless. You probably know who these people are um, who like to rag on Joe Burrow's arm strength, who like to rag on Joe Burrow's age and never seem to give Joe Burrow credit when he plays a really good game. Like he just had against, against Jacksonville. Meanwhile, mm-hmm. last night I'm watching and I missed the first drive of the game when Herbert was like six of six, apparently, and had a pretty nice drive. But, you know, I see him airmail a couple throws, miss a wide open uh, Mike Williams on a busted coverage from Damon Arnett. And then he comes back and he, you know, has some reasonable throws. But like the Raiders were busting coverages left and right. And so I'm looking at that thinking like none of these throws have and he did to his credit have some really nice throws the wheel the touchdown to uh eckler eckler was a really good throw i mean not an incredibly difficult throw joe burrow can make that throw but he had some nice throws but a lot of the throws didn't have an immensely high degree of difficulty 
And mm-hmm. so, you know, I watched that and I'm looking at Twitter and people are like, oh yeah, Justin Herbert's lasers are looking nice tonight. And I'm like, what are we, what are we doing here? These, these aren't like particularly hard throws. Maybe they look aesthetically nice, but I, I just, you know, Joe Burrow has been really good this year. I, I don't know where it or when it became cool to like dismiss and hate on Joe Burrow. It's really weird. Both of these guys have a really bright future and I'm looking forward to seeing how they both turn out because I think Joe Burrow shown that he can still be a really, really good quarterback currently like top five, top six by most metrics, uh, despite those limitations of arm strength and despite being a couple years older than Justin Herbert. And honestly, at this point, who cares about the age? Yeah. You know, I, I look at it as, cause it's, it's always going to be considered a competition, same draft class it, to me. And I'll include Patrick Mahomes in this. And there's a reason why I'm not including like a Lamar Jackson or Baker Mayfield. Cause I just don't think, you know, and maybe Kyler Murray squeaks his way in. There's a lot of good quarterbacks, but like in a perfect scenario for these guys, Patrick Mahomes is Aaron Rodgers, right? Is like the, the next new and improved Aaron Rodgers. And he might, you know, you might already say he's there, which is fine. Uh, and I think he is. So there you go. Justin Herbert is Peyton Manning where he's just got it and and you see it and bigger arm, but you know, all of those people, like you're talking about crown Manning pretty early and and you hope and so that's kind of happening with Herbert and I'm not debating it. I think Herbert's really, 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 really good. I'm the one who wrote before the draft that the Bengals should be open to, to listening to, to what the Dolphins had to offer specifically when they had all those first rounders, just to see what, you know, what it was. Anyways, I do think the Bengals got it right with Burrow because you're hoping he's Brady. You're hoping he completely transforms your culture, completely becomes this competitive maniac football freak that is so obsessive that it doesn't matter if he doesn't have the biggest arm. He's going to move in the pocket, his pre-snap reads, his – uh, a competitiveness and fire and all that, all those intangibles synced up with his ability to read the defense and change things. And and that goes on line with Peyton a little bit, right? Cause I think he's the one who kind of revolutionized the game there, but Brady took the baton and ran with it. Um, you hope he's that. So you, you, we might be seeing those three greats coming in together within a three year span of each other and all being in the same conference. And if that's the case, that's fine. It's six in one hand, half a dozen the other. I get it. I, mean, I think Brady's the goat, but Peyton Manning, he's not the goat, but he's right behind him. So you would take either one. And so that's kind of how I feel about Herbert in Burrow. I think Burrow obviously fits what the Bengals needed. I was talking with Goodberry about this when we went out to eat, um, at, you know, at the precinct. Like his ability to transform a culture mattered, yeah. even if he can't throw it seventy-seven yards on a run. Like, you know, Justin Herbert can. And I, I think that part of it uh, is overlooked. They're both really, really good, and they have the potential to be great. I don't think either one's great yet, but they they could certainly end up there. Yeah. I mean, who was it? Somebody somebody said this week, like, Justin Herbert, I'm comfortable saying, Adam Schefter, I'm comfortable saying Justin Herbert, if he stays healthy, is a Hall of Famer, he said. And we're not there yet for either of these guys. Let's, let's no. pump the brakes and see how... Yikes. See how their careers go. But you make a really good point there, and I've talked about this a lot. The Bengals picked the quarterback they needed. Um, Joe Joe Goodberry makes this point that the team takes on the strongest personality between the quarterback yeah. and the head coach. And in a lot of ways, specifically when you're talking about the offense, you can see how they've adopted Joe Burrow's competitiveness, his calm, cool, collected. And, and it translates to how they're carrying themselves on and off the football field. I think that matters. And – 
Herbert, you know, landed in a situation that's really good for him, maybe he would be really good in Cincinnati as well, just based on his talent and his ability to throw the ball. But Joe Burrow is a guy that I think brought a transformative nature to this team. You heard DJ Reader in his press conference this week say, am I going to bet on Drew Locke or am I going to bet on Joey B? And uh, that's why he signed with the Bengals, right? So, And that was before the draft. Yeah. So, you know, it, it makes sense that the Bengals went with Burrow and it should be fun to watch. Like you said, it should be fun to watch this rivalry because there's a lot of good young quarterbacks in the NFL right now and the Bengals appear to have one of them. And they can and the, continue to build around him for the next, hopefully, 15 to 20 years. And the great news is, is they play each other later this year. So we'll get to see them go head to head, as they say. Yeah. Yeah. Burrow gets to play against, we talked about this, Mahomes, Lamar, Aaron Rodgers this week, and and uh, Derek Carr now having a good year, Justin Herbert later in the year. So some some fun, high-powered potential offense matchups coming your way later this year. Tomorrow, we shift gears and we start to focus on week five green bay packers coming to cincinnati to face joe burrow and the cincinnati bengals will have peter burkowski from locked on packers with us tomorrow to start talking about the matchup until then bengals fans who day